Um, we got we got the Reverend Alfred Sergal bringing us the word this morning. We're pretty stoked about that. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, but Al asked me to give a little recap of what we've been uh, traveling through. Um, as as many of you know, we've we've covered the whole book of uh, Genesis, and we are currently in the book of Exodus. And the last two weeks, in particular, we have heard about the. Um, the, well, the exodus out of Egypt. So um, the Lord came and dealt with Pharaoh and the, the empire of Egypt. And, and he, he did what he said he was going to do. He, he delivered his people out of bondage. Amen. And um, I'm not going to go into all of that. But I think where we're heading today is up to the Red Sea. Is we're that right? Red, we're, we're in the, in Red, the Red, Red, Red Sea. Okay, here we go. We're at the Red Sea. All right, did everybody get some water or coffee? I want to make sure you're properly hydrated. <clears throat> you need to be, because we're about to read Exodus 14, verse 1, all the way through. All right, you ready? Everybody situated? Here we go. Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Haheroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are encamped by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he, I love that. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. boldly. The Egyptian, Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi Hehirath, opposite Baal Zephon. I've had anxiety about how to say those two words all morning. Uh, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the, the, the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. Does this sound reminiscent of our worship set? Okay, that was not planned. You need only to be still. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. 
the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so that neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Hang in there, we're almost there. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord took down, looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. You made it. Congratulations. Let me get my message up here so I can see it. How's everybody doing this morning? Let me pray that my right hand stops shaking so that I can use my mouse really well. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for a community that engages with reality. We don't engage with fiction. We don't engage with a story that is another story that's a rumor, that's a myth, that's a fairy tale that we heard from some friend long ago. We hear a story that you are telling and continuing to tell by the power of your Holy Spirit. We engage with the real. We engage with reality. We do not engage with fiction. We want to engage with the story, God, that you are telling us through Moses and the people of Israelite. You are speaking to us through them in that story now. Help us to engage with this in a fresh new way by the power of your Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen, I still can't get that Methodist thing out of me. So nothing like getting picked to talk about one of the most popular stories in the Bible ever. I mean, it's kind of part of cultural vernacular now. It's like, man, it was like the parting of the Red Sea. Or like, it's going to take an act of Congress. It's like, in, it's like inferring a miracle. Has anybody ever heard that? So I think it's important that I start off with saying I'm, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to speak. I'm also thankful for what we're doing as a community and the direction we're taking by engaging with the scriptures. I alluded to it in my prayer, but, you know... Um, we need to be engaging with what's happening now and engaging in reality. Um, and part of engaging with reality is engaging with the reality of the people that came before us. So at some point, all the stories that were told from generation to generation throughout humanity, someone somewhere wrote them down. This is my Bible. And we need to engage with this because this helps us deal with reality now 
because they're telling us about how they dealt with reality then. A mentor of mine once said, Al, when you're communicating information to your team or to your staff, it's important that you communicate the information to all of them all at the same time. I said, well, why? Why can't I just have coffees here and there with them? He said, well, what ends up happening is you convey the information to each individual and then they walk away and if they, they start to use their imagination to fill in the gaps of the story, rather than if you tell everybody at the same time, they all have the same story at the same time and they don't walk away filling in the gaps. Because what happens when we fill in the gaps of a narrative and we haven't been told the whole narrative is we begin to fill in the gaps with rumor or stuff that's non-reality. And I find that more often than not, I meet people and their view of God is not what I know of God. It's because they've been told another story. Someone along the way filled in the gaps with their incredible imagination and they begin to buy into a non-reality, begin to deal with a fiction. They've, they've created this non-reality. And I, I love my church because it's real. And I'm not talking like early 2000s postmodern church, real, like we get to wear jeans and we have coffee in the lobby. I'm not talking about that, postmodern. Um, I'm, not ta- I'm talking about reality, like we're dealing with the fact that we, we have struggles. We have things that we're dealing with. And we want to bring them to the light and deal with them as a community that's dealing, that holds the tension between the God space and, and life. And we find that we hold the tension and that's our life. That's why I like it. That's why we need to engage with this. So in prepping for today, you have to understand I'm a visual thinker. So you guys are here, but really I have this imaginary PowerPoint presentation that's in front of me. And I think in bubbles all the time. When I'm playing music, I think... I think visually, I hear sounds and it creates like a, a movie in my mind and then I actually make music to the movie. There you go. Um, so this morning I have this thought over here which is the, uh, like the first question I ever got when I was thinking about Exodus 14. What is my Red Sea? And then this other overarching thought is that the, the Israelites were on a journey from slavery to covenant. I know we've often heard that they were on a journey from, from slavery to freedom, but I feel like ultimately our journey is, is, we're on a journey from slavery to covenant, this relationship, this ongoing trusting relationship with God. And in a way, that Old Testament thing, if you, if you had that here and you put this other one here, you have, that's resurrection life. So we have journey from, from, from slavery to covenant, but it's, it's, it's dying to something to see new life given. Do you understand? So it's all the same. It's Old Testament and New Testament fused into a life of resurrection. Over here, over here, uh, what is my Red Sea? That question, I was like, what's my Red Sea? What is my Red Sea? And then I got this question. Other questions came, and that's where we'll start today. What, what, are, what are the chariots that are chasing me? And, and what is my Pharaoh? What is my Pharaoh? I tell you guys, let's just start there. Pharaoh. Pharaoh is alive and well today. He is. Or the spirit of Pharaoh is alive and well today. Pharaoh was an Egyptian king who had enslaved the Israelites. Basic definition of slavery. Slavery is when you reduce a person's existence to, to labor. Slavery is when you res- reduce a person's existence. Slavery over time will convince a person that this is all there is. 
Slavery over time will convince you that there is never enough. Slavery convinces you that fiction is reality. Slavery will convince you that God's story of provision and deliverance is merely a myth and a fairy tale. The Pharaoh principality is a mindset of fear and scarcity. It's a control mechanism that works, and it works still to this day. It's a mindset that says this is all there is and there's never enough. And even though the Israelites were free, the way of Pharaoh had bedded itself deep, deep within them. They were convinced it was better to be a slave to Pharaoh than to be lost with God. You either give up, give into the fiction, or you try to escape any way you can. So when I was asking the question to myself, I'm like, okay, what is my Pharaoh? What is my Pharaoh? Answer, my past. Just like, the, just like Israel, Pharaoh was my past. Without thinking about it, I realized that like the Israelites, I had created an altar out of my past. My past was either the glory days, the good times, or was the not so glory days, the bad times. When it was when, it was, when I was glorifying the good part, I, when I would glorify the good parts, it was sort of this escape of the present. Um, or I would rekindle the bad parts and kind of use the bad parts as an excuse to escape the present. I would either glorify the good parts to escape the present and live in the past. Or I would glorify the bad parts to excuse and play the victim. So that either way I wasn't present. Either way, I was escaping the present. I had constructed an altar of the past that was blocking and filtering everything I was doing in the present, and it directly affected my ability to receive anything that was real. Making an altar of the past blocked my ability to receive the present, and it brought with it an, a huge army of expectations, which leads to the next question. What are your chariots? What is your pharaoh? How are you dealing with your past? And what parts of the past are chasing you and haunting you in the present like the Egyptian chariots? Chariots at the time of Pharaoh were the most modern weapon of war. The amount of chariots, horses, horsemen, and troops coming after the Israelites was too many to count, and it was terrifying. So if you look back at verse 10, verse 10 in Exodus 14, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out to Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Oh my goodness. Under pressure, what happens is unspoken expectations manifest themselves, don't they? I am very, 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 very much like the Israelites in this situation. When something happens to rub up against all the unspoken expectations I have, my immediate reaction is to toss in the towel and start speaking as if it's all over. I blame God. I blame anyone else in a 50-mile radius. I start blabbing about nothing good ever happens to me, and this was God's intent all along for me to be miserable, blah, 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 blah. 
Oh, and if that's not enough, just like the, just like the Israelites, I begin to kind of, and Nada will love this, I begin to regurgitate this kind of glory days monologue about how it was so good back when, and then I start talking about all this stuff in the early 90s. I just gravitate, I just gravitate to the 90s and I, I've, de- I've, I've determined that it's my glory day monologue. And if Nada knew what the word testify was, she'd stand up and raise her hand. I don't testify about that. But we don't know that language, so we won't. I'd find myself interpreting an interruption or an obstacle as a period at the end of a sentence, at the end of the last chapter, at the end of the final book of my life. It was, it was the end. When in reality, it's just a comma, not a full stop. It's a comma, it's not a full stop. Let me read you this beautiful poem. That was Coldplay. Thank you, Chris Martin. That was a Coldplay quote. <clears throat> I'm gonna read you a, a poem by Wendell Berry. Is that okay? I love this one. It may be that we no longer know what to do and we have come to our real work. And when we no longer know which way to go, we have begun our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. Read that one more time. It may be that we no longer know what to do and we have come to our real work. And when we no longer know which way to go, we have begun our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. For me, forgetting that salvation is just the... I sometimes forget that salvation is on the other side of the situation. And what I view as an insurmountable issue is not the end at all. It's a comma in the middle of a very long sentence in the early chapter of my story that has a long way to go. The Israelites had an idea or an expectation of what freedom would look like. And the altar that the Israelites had created out of their past helped create these unrealistic expectations of the presence, which made it very easy to rattle their faith. So I see expectations like chariots. They are a significant, a significant weapon for spiritual warfare. Expectations are can be a very... Yeah, they mess with our minds. They, expectations will mess with your minds and they will lead us down paths of entitlement, coveting, and judgment, which are all ways that we reduce not only our, our lives, but we reduce others. But that's another message for another day. So what are your chariots? What are my chariots? What are your expectations? What expectations rooted in your past are chasing you down and creating fear in you right now, right here in the present. Whatever they are, you have to take a risk to journey beyond them. And whatever that baptismal risk is, that is your Red Sea. So, this all started with me running, and I was out running, and I was praying, and I'm like, I really want this, I want to talk about the Red Sea, and I want it to be personal. And I remember I'd I just got started running and I was like, am I really going to start walking now and, and talking? Because that's what happens. I, if I'm running, I want to run. That's what I want to do. I don't want to walk. I don't want to talk. Um, but it, it just hit. And I was like, oh. What? And I just stood there and I just kept saying over and over again, what is my Red Sea? What is my Red Sea? 
I think it's important to kind of understand what, have you ever, I mean, the stats on the Red Sea are staggering. Um, first of all, it, the, literally, the, the Red Sea is a, is a seawater inlet for the Indian Ocean, and it's between Asia and Africa. The ocean itself is 169,000 uh, uh, miles, square miles. It is f- close to 1,400 miles long and 221 miles wide. Okay, 220 miles wide. So the, so at some point along that stretch, this is what the Israelites have to get through. If it's the middle of it, it's a 221-mile walk. Okay, let's look back. Then this is verse 21 in Exodus 14. Then Moses stretched his hand out over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. And this morning when I was reading it with you, it was just funny to think about how the the storyteller uh, tells us twice that there was a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. So it's probably pretty epic. So... Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night. Did you, anybody know that it took overnight for the seas to part? Or did everybody else buy into like the Jim Carrey version where it's like he's parting the red soup and it's like, oh, and this bowl of soup. It's like immediate, immediately. No, it's like, God's like, that's going to take me a few. It's going to take me a little bit. I'm going to need, I'm going to need, you know, we're talking about clearing 220 miles of dry land, it's salt water, so it's heavier than fresh water. Give me a break, man. The point is, the point is the Israelites had to wait all night. Talk about an anxiety attack. It's not enough that the past is haunting you. It's not enough that you've got this army that you know's there. It's not enough that you've been totally let down by the current reality that this freedom is, oh man, we feel so great about freedom, so great we'd rather be slaves again. You have to wait in the dark. It's not, it's not enough that all that's happening. You have to wait in the dark, but I don't know about most of you, but I, isn't that just kind of the way God works? Isn't that how it works? I mean, doesn't, doesn't this story sound remotely familiar to his spirit hovering over the darkness, creating light, and then separating water and dry land? That's the second day of creation. This story is very reminiscent that God is going to once again make a way where there was no way. As I close this out, I am closing out. It's a short message. I didn't want to keep you here forever like I did with Jacob because I'm, I'm your friend. Um, Moses. I want to have time for activation if that's okay. So Moses, so this is the words of Moses again to the Israelites. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Do not fear. If you're writing anything down today, now's the time to take notes. Do not fear. Stand firm and see. For me and for the Israelites, the Red Sea seemed like the end. We've, we've been enslaved for so long to one way of thinking that we cannot imagine another way out. 
The Pharaoh principality, this enslaving mindset, a mindset that will so easily convince you that the past was all that you had and that there won't be enough for you today, reducing your life, it reduces your faith, it reduces, it reduces you to a fearful worldview. This mind takes, it, it takes a massive grip on your imagination, the Pharaoh mindset. It just grips it. And it takes a massive imagination to imagine yourself outside of that system. It takes a massive imagination to imagine any escape escape from the army of your own expectations and to begin to receive the reality of God's imagination and God's dreams for your life. So with an army behind us and the Red Red Sea before us, all I can think is, a lot of times all you can think about, and I'm saying this is what I think about, is man, the past was such a, it was a a safer place. Man, the past was so good. And present situation, I'm dealing with pain in my hands I've never had before. My son may, may in fact have ADHD. Things that all cry, this is all happening this week. Anxiety about a drummer who's, I have Dupuytren's contracture maybe? And my son maybe had an ADHD? God, the past was way better than it is right now. This, this is not good. This is what happens. And you're just like, you can't even see the future, guys. You can't. The past looks really good. And I'm here to tell you that all those thoughts are lies. They are lies, And they need to be, those lies over my life, just like the lies that you're hearing over your life, they need to be baptized in the Red Sea of God's creative spirit. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to hear one of my favorite authors speak, um, Walter Brueggemann. It It was Dr. Brueggemann's final public sermon. He was 83 years old. Um... It was awesome. And I, 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 I never knew that I'd get to tell this out loud, but I'm so stoked to read this to you. He was in a sermon talking about departing from Babylon, departing from the empire. For us this morning, this might as well be just departing from a mindset. And this is what he said. He said, and I'm quoting, there's a rabbinic story that when Moses got to the waters of freedom, the waters didn't part until he put his foot in the water and the water's parted that much. He put his foot in the water and the water's parted that much than that much. So what you find as a pastor, if you're having a conversation about a departure from the empire or for us this morning, a departure from a mindset, people want to ask a really big eschatological, eschatological question like, I don't know how I can leave the empire. I don't, how do I leave the empire? How do I leave this mindset? And he said, the the simple pastoral answer is, put your foot in the water. Just take a step in the water and the waters will part. You'll get your feet wet, but put your foot in the water. The waters of baptism are the path to freedom. Do not keep your feet dry. Do not fear.
stand firm and see. Do not fear. Take risks. Like this morning, they did three songs. And I could tell, you know, it's like jazz, man. You get a song and you, you stay in that song until something happens. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But the risk is what it's worth. Because we connect with it. We come alive inside when someone else risks. You come alive inside when you take a risk. That's what happened this morning. It was relying on God. It's like, I'm going to sing this song. We're going to sing this song. We are going to pray into this song until someone in this audience believes what we're actually singing. And then you believe. Then something happens and you believe and we come alive. But it's because we took a risk. Stand, you've got to, do not fear. Take risks. Stand firm. Nighttime's coming, guys. Sometimes you're going to look up, you're going to be like, my hand's kind of hurt. I think I should go on the worldwide internet and have an anxiety attack. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So Monday, I look up nodes in the hands and I text every, I text my friend Don. I text everybody about, what is this? Sometimes the night's coming. But we've got to wait because we know from the story of God that his spirit hovers over that darkness. His spirit hovers over the darkness and he has promised us that he's going, the light is coming. That's in the second verse, guys. Let there be light. And see, the wind of God's creative spirit will reveal the dry land. But we have to be awake to it. Jesus said, blessed are the pure at heart for they shall see God. There's no test there. It's an instruction. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. We have, just the way that I'm able to train my mind to read music, we have to be in training to see what God's going to do. Good fishermen, they get good. Why? Because they go out and they do it. How do you expect to see God if you're not in the practice of seeing God? (laughs) Do not fear. Stand firm and see. Why is this important? My prayer is that this is at the forefront of your minds. Why? Because everything in the system that we deal with currently will grip your imagination and tell you there is no way other than what you see. And we stand here with an opportunity to change this city with creative, imaginative people that I frankly haven't met anybody else in the city like this community. Diverse, imaginative, ready to go, ready to do things, and everything, we're going to have resistance, it comes. It comes. Creative acts always have resistance. But our response, did I mention response is a creative act? Our response to that is that God will make a way where there is no way. Let me pray for us. And then I'll have whoever wants to come up, come up. Lord, I break off fear in Jesus' name. We are not a fearful people. Lord, I pray for myself and for everybody in this room that we would begin to put more faith in hope and less faith in fear. Fear fear has always let me down and I've put more faith in it. Fear has always let me down and I always always come back like a hungry person. Like, well, give me some more fear because that helps. And you always let me down, fear, and I don't want you anymore. And I cast you out. And I I want hope. That God's hope and peace would fill us, God, that we would not fear. And God, will you give us strong backbones to stand firm? That we will stand firm. We know the night's coming. Can we just smile at that? We, are, we, don't, we won't even have a nervous whistle in the night. We're not. 
I'm a little nervous because it's dark. No, we knew it was coming because we know that midnight is the start of a new day. Every new day starts at midnight. It's always dark when the new day is coming and the dawn. Just help us to wait for the dawn, Lord. That we would wait for the light and to see God. Help us to be aware and awake, to have fresh eyes to see your kingdom, to see you clear the dry land in 220 miles of dry land. That is epic. That is a way that you could not miss. That is a virtual highway to Atlanta, God. And I just ask that you would open that up and help us not to miss it. Help us not to miss it. Open our hearts to see the way where you've made the way because you will make a way where there is no way. Amen. Wow. Hey, let's, let's stand up together and just shout for a second. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. My goodness. That was disgustingly good. Um, sit down one more second. My job next week is to take us, I'm not going to put it that way. I was going to say to take us into the wilderness. But um, you, you go through the miracle of the Red Sea on the way to the fulfillment of your promise through a place called the wilderness. So in a, in a, if you can hear this, you know, Al's talking about how bad it might be, but really it's not bad. You go from there into a worse place. (laughs) Now, the amazing thing is it doesn't have to be a worse place if you know how to handle it. And so we're going to see that after the miracle of the deliverance from Egypt and the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea, you have to learn in a wilderness how to navigate if you want to get the fulfillment of your promise. And there's no alternative. You have no choice. And see, when you recognize you have no choice but to go through difficulty... It begins to prepare your mind and you begin to develop process and method to engage those conflicts or difficulties or that wilderness in a way that shortens the wilderness. But you will not escape it. I'll talk about some of that next week. Because there's a wilderness between your promise and your promised land. And people who don't acknowledge it are like people Al was mentioning earlier who don't deal with reality. I mean, when the whole thing when I was getting saved was get saved and your life will be great from here on out. Where is that guy? (laughs) Half of what he said was true, but then there's the other half. So it's going to be awesome, awesome time. We're going to have some... uh, uh, but let me just give you a little preliminary. When I was selling restaurant equipment, I had I really wasn't in like full time ministry until I was almost forty one. But I had a call into that ministry when I was in college. 
So I had a long stretch of time where the Lord wouldn't really release me into what I knew I was born to do. I did things I hated for 20 years until I quit hating them. And see, there was a point where I realized I will prolong this wilderness until I break the power of complaint in my own life. And the minute I did, two months later, the doors opened wide in my entire life changed. I'm serious. This is really a very profound truth that if we don't get on board, we'll be angry with the Lord for keeping things in a certain way that we ourselves have actually kept. And so it's so important, really, just to go through this whole preaching process because God has a end result for all of us as we engage through all of these great pictures, revelations, and insight, beginning with Genesis, now Exodus, as, as we move forward. And the wonderful thing is the Lord's revealing to each one of us that speak something fresh, something unique, something very powerful. So, man, just keep engaging this process. Now, let me ask one question that we don't ask enough. Is there anyone in here that's never accepted Jesus as your Lord and you would like to today? If that's you, please just raise your hand wherever you are, and we will have some people that will pray for you and help you here in a few minutes. Is there anyone here that you want to receive Jesus as your Lord? Know your future is secure and your past is covered. Just give you a moment. Okay. I have a little girl in the back waving her hand. Jason's little girl. Is that a little girl from here? She's anticipating the day she gets saved or well, I don't know, whatever. But now we're going to do this very last thing. We have an opportunity to affect real help and aid in Puerto Rico. And we're going to receive an offering, but I would like for John Mark to give the info about it and why we want to do it awesome you guys been keeping up with the news and um you know what's what's happened with the um the hurricane in puerto rico i've got a friend who's uh going down there um i just want to read this off of his uh off of his instagram uh here he said um the ha- this is his organization the happy sonship nonprofit organization is partnering with impact nations to bring relief to these beautiful people the storm left the whole island without power and water. The most hopeful estimates are saying it will take at least four months to get electricity working again. Thousands of people have lost their homes, and thousands more are in need of food and water. In the coming weeks, we're planning to take at least 300 water filters to Puerto Rico. These Sawyer water filters provide continuous clean water for at least 100 people per day. We will distribute these filters in the areas of most need and provide clean water and sanitation training. Um, if you give $65, you help us buy one water filter. If you give more, you help us buy all the necessary items to make it run perfectly. Together, we can guarantee the access access to clean water to more than 30,000 people. Anyway, um, I was just thinking during worship how m- how much we've been blessed, how much I've been blessed, and how amazing it is that we have resources to help other people. And I'm just so thankful that we have resources to help people. And I want to, um, I want to, <laughs> I want to exercise that. 
I just, I, I just, I, I love that we have something that can help somebody else. It's such a blessing and an honor to be able to give and, and use what you have to help other people. I'm so thankful for that. So we want to take up an offering and 100% of it will go to Carlos and, uh, to buy the water filters and to help them do their work down in Puerto Rico. So if you feel that burden, um, give, I'm sure anything helps. Even, you know, $65 is not a whole lot of money for a filter. So any amount helps. And, um, anyway, I don't know if anyone has a burden and wants to pray. I guess I have a burden. I want to pray. All right. Lord Jesus, th- uh, thank you for the opportunity to help people, Lord. And we just, we, we just pray that things would go better than expected in Puerto Rico, that the power and the water and the food and everything, um, Lord, would just, would just go better than expected, Lord. And we just pray for those people right now. We pray that you'd be with them and you'd do miracles right now in their lives and you would send the help that they need. Lord Jesus, there'd be no more loss of life, that the elderly would receive their medicine, that people who can't get around well would um, receive all the things they need, the food and water. And um, Jesus' name, amen. If you want an envelope, if you raise your hand, we'll be glad to, to give you one. And if you have checks, if you just make them out to QCC and put on the check, Puerto Rico or water filter or however you want to designate, we will guarantee you 100% of this will go. And the wonderful thing is we know people that can actually get this done. We're not just throwing it into somebody else's pot and they figure out what to do with it. So it's a great way to, great way to help people. So if you just wait just a moment and then we'll, yeah. Tell tell you what we'll do. I wonder if there's a, John, why don't you guys just put those buckets on that back table? You want to just put them back there instead of passing them and let people um, just put them right. Yeah, Dave and John right back there. And on your way out, uh, if you want to contribute, just whatever goes in those buckets on the back table there near the sound stuff, that will be great. And we also have ministry teams today. Anyone like to receive ministry or help or prayer, if you will gather right over here on this side of the auditorium, we'll be glad to have a team of people trained to help you. And God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for coming.